Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Katie Winton. So this morning we're going to be talking to artist Meng Yu Yan, who's going to pop in to chat about their first exhibition that opened last night. Today also marks the beginning of Reconciliation Week, which runs until June 3rd. The dates mark two milestones in Australia's reconciliation journey, the 1967 referendum and the historic Mabo decision. National Sorry Day was yesterday on May 26, and 2017 marks 50 years since the 1967 referendum and 25 years since the Mabo decision. So Backchat are going to be talking um, in a lot more depth about Reconciliation Week in about a half an hour, so stick around for that. And actually tonight there's an event happening at the Opera House about accidental activism featuring First Nations conversations, provocations and debates. Uh, so that kicks off at about 4pm the Savo. Tickets are $25 and we'll pop up a link on our show page as well. So if um, if that's if you've that's not that's if you are not already booked up with all of the Writers Festival events. This year the program is pretty heavily inflected by feminism. Last night my number one person Elaine Welteroth, the new editor of Teen Vogue. I don't know if I speak about this basically every week. Every like, episode. <laughs> I love Teen Vogue. (laughs) Uh, So she spoke at the Seymour Centre last night. Um, And you can also catch Chris Krauss, the author of I Love Dick, as a part of the Advice from Nasty Women panel. I'm really excited to see that. I'm going to go see it tonight. Um, And I think it's excitement that's tempered by the fact that I'm like not really into the whole people coalescing around the nasty women movement. So Trump is so inarticulate and I just don't, want the his kind of limited vocabulary to talk about myself or the women that I admire. I'm just like not into nasty women. <laughs> yeah, really anti-nasty women, aren't you? I mean, yeah, sure. But I think historically there's definitely political agency in reclaiming oppressive language as something that can be a powerful tool. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of indifferent to the nasty women phase, phrase. It doesn't really particularly bother me as I kind of, I think I see it conflated with commodified feminism so I tend personally not to use it but if you like the term nasty woman then you know go for it (laughs) you do you I feel like there are so many yeah there are just so many different ways of using rhetoric around feminist different kind of aspects of feminism and if it if it suits you nasty women I can see the political agency in it yeah I guess that's like choice feminism which is a slippery slope (laughs) Um, but I just feel like we're forced to think about Trump so much on a day-to-day basis and I don't think I just don't like defining myself and my peers according to like the language that he uses. And the, the particular, the panel tonight um, comprises such brilliant thinkers and writers that I feel like they deserve a better collective noun. I'm trying to think of one myself that's like better than nasty women. But I'd like to hear your thoughts. 0409945945. What captures the complexity of the female experience <laughs> at the moment? It's a trick question. No, but I think it's I, I think it's true. Like it starts with the language that we use about ourselves. So I don't I don't like thinking about myself according to like his language. And I think we need something richer and more nuanced than yeah, than that. So I wanna know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I yeah. 
And maybe bad feminist is a better way of <laughs> describing complexities of female experience. We went to see Roxanne Gay, um, who is the author of the pretty big book, Bad Feminism. Um, she spoke the other night as part of Sydney Writers Festival. And I think there were a lot of takeaways from that talk. But what, for me, one of the standout ones was when she was talking about men being feminists. And she kind of outlined the laziness and not taking on the emotional labor or responsibility of take of being aware of issues that relate to people that are part of a community group or a community that you don't necessarily belong to. And I think that applies in a lot of different aspects. And I mean, you don't have to necessarily be on the front lines and, and being the most outspoken in terms of advocating for feminism. But I think there is something quite strong in men identifying as feminists. And that's quite a controversial oh, yeah. topic. But I also feel like Aren't we over that conversation? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think we are. I think think it's like complicated. And also she talked about it in a more general sense about like being an ally and how I think a lot, I think a lot of people have like explained that like allyship is pretty complicated and fraught with like problems of like colonialism and sexism. But she was saying that it's not being supportive of oppressed people is not about saying what can I do it's about saying what do you need Mm. it's more assertive than like how can I be good it's like no how what do you need right now well that's what I mean about emotional labor it's like mm. you do the research to figure out how you can help rather than asking people how they can tell you what to do yeah because it's like it takes a lot of work to even think about what yeah how you don't have to do the work to explain to someone how they can be an ally it's like yeah yeah i don't know maybe i should stop saying ally (laughs) (laughs) i think the conversation of like can men be feminist for me just it kind of is quite a second wave feminist way of thinking about like feminism as associated with gender and i think Mm. that's why i'm a little bit frustrated by having this conversation over and over again because i feel like feminism is not bound to women Mm. cisgendered women you know so uh, yeah anyway but yeah i think yeah also claiming feminism makes you accountable if you're going to say I'm Mm. a feminist then like that also opens you up for criticism so I understand not it's not an excuse I'm I just think that like if you do say that you're a feminist then you immediately become accountable whereas like if you say I'm actually a humanist I just believe in (laughs) equal rights for everyone and then then you know Shut up. (laughs) One of the things that I took away, it was really interesting. The interviewer kind of, and everyone asked her about this, and I completely agree. Um, But, like, everyone's like, oh, how do you reconcile the fact that you listen to very problematic hip-hop music and and with your own feminism? Like, how do you reconcile that? Because there is this problem of misogyny in hip-hop. And she was like... Uh, there's a problem of misogyny in music. And mm. I think that, like, talking about misogyny in hip-hop is often a very coded way of talking about misogyny in African-American culture. And it's a way of, like, saying that without saying it. And so I think that for her to do that and for her to... not She didn't pull up the interviewer, but she was like, misogyny is, like, rampant in the music industry in general. Yeah, it was really artful the way that she diverted that question. It's, yeah, quite a lazy thing to fall back on the idea of misogyny in hip-hop and ignore the problem of misogyny in the music industry. Yeah, and I guess we should um, talk about the attack in Manchester um, that happened earlier in the week um, from that, I suppose. Many people have observed that it's not only a, a terrorist attack, but it's also a specific... It was also a specific attack on girls, young men and gay men. And if you think about um, Ariana Grande's overwhelming female and, like, young fan base... This was um, a calculated attack on young women and girls. 
Yeah, so if you missed that, on Monday night, a reported suicide bomber bomber detonated a device outside Manchester Arena in England, which killed 22 people, many of whom were children. And the victims were gathered at the 21,000-seat venue to see Ariana Grande. Yeah, and I've been spending a lot of time this week reading think pieces about what this what this means for what this particular attack means what it means for the way that we think about burgeoning sexuality in young girls and what it means about masculinity and mostly I've been watching Ariana Grande video clips as well I've been in like a very deep Ariana Grande (laughs) (laughs) k-hole and they're amazing they're relatively like I just hadn't really looked at them very much um, because I thought it was like kids' music. I thought her music was like kind of like Yeah, I think Disney you're much more deeper into the Ariana Grande. Yeah, yeah. So um, let me explain. Let me break it down. Than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but they're amazing. They're like transgressive. And I think that if you think about the fact that she was actually a Disney child star that was locked into all these like really infantilizing roles um, until like the last couple of years, she has in the la- in this um, in the last few years become relatively like politically vocal and she's disassociated from the Catholic Church because of the way that they treated her brother who was a gay man and I feel like that would have been a very difficult thing for her if growing up in Florida and in America and in a Catholic family but I think if you look at the um, her more recent videos she I'm not she's not like subverting the male gaze but she's doing something in that direction there's something very yeah transgressive about the the music, the ideas that she's talking about. Um, like, have I don't know, have you seen Side to Side? No. It is bananas. It's so insane. It's really, really good. Um, and I think that her tour, Dangerous Women, Dangerous Woman, tapped into that. So that's like the name of the tour was yeah. Dangerous Woman. Um, and it's about like taking ownership of her sexuality and the power. And I think there's like incredible power in women exploring and beginning to challenge ideas about their own sexuality and identity and agency. And so I think it's... I mean, it's sad and it's incredibly upsetting, but it's particularly poignant in the light of what's happened that it's just, it reminds people that it's just dangerous to be a woman and to be a young girl and to be in, yeah. I think the way the media picked it up was kind of really, it was recognising that the audience demographic was primarily young women and irrespective of the attacker's mental health or context or motivations, it's impossible to ignore that, that the demographic of that audience was mainly young girls, like many of whom might be seeing their first concert for the first time or, you know, kind of being a teenager and being really excited about being there. It's like really devastating. Yeah, there's something so incredible about... um that experience and that that kind of act of um you know being a young woman or female identifying person gathering in a space and especially at a concert because concerts are like so magical and i think that we don't have a lot of kind of rites of passage that are so ingrained in like contemporary society western society but like going to a concert and especially your first concert as a teenage girl or a young person is such an important and like meaningful event um and so the npr critic Anne powers wrote on facebook i'm just going to like quote her because i think it's like very apt so attending a concert as a teenage girl is a heady and potent experience the best night of your life girl version she wrote a ticket in an envelope you've marked with glitter glue putting on too much of your eyeshadow you bought at the drugstore the day that day wearing a skirt that's shorter than your school uniform telling your mum it's okay and you'll meet her right after the show dancing experimentally 
looking at the woman on stage and thinking one day you'll be sexy and confident like her, realizing that right that this moment you are sexy and confident like her. This is the essence of what so many girls in Manchester Arena were feeling before some of them were murdered. That's really intense, but I can definitely like, like I know that feeling. Like I remember like being a teenager and I, I went and saw the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and I like looked at their video clips and like practiced my like Karen O makeup and I looked like an idiot. Like I just looked back at those photos and I was like, I was very far off the mark. <laughs> but it was like so important and just like looking up at the stage as like a young woman and having an experience that was like so divorced from, it's not completely divorced from like, the patriarchy but just seeing this strong woman and being like <clears throat> one day I want to be like you and it was just and being around lots of other people that were also yeah it's uh, did you have that experience um yeah I think I definitely came to that experience as a late like later in life um because my first concerts were like you know seeing screamo bands for taste of chaos in no. Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Brisbane there were no cool women <laughs> I'm um, sure there are I cool mean women. there are we're getting pretty deep into bad feminism here I know speaking <laughs> of um should we play your favorite track at this point yes. in time okay so this is um this is by Casey Hill she was like I think she was an opera singer but she went into the Kanye West think tank think tank and she's come out the other end with this like amazing <laughs> Like, Def Jam. I think it's like coming out on June thirtieth via um, Good Music and Def Jam, and it is so deeply Kanye. I love it so much, and the video clip is really, really good. So. Isabel Hawthorne, and Bad Feminist. Such a bad feminist. <laughs> Heard it here first. <laughs> this is Casey Hill with Like a Woman. Stick around because we'll be talking to Meng Yu Yan straight after this track about their exhibition happening at the moment.
Casey Hill just there with Like a Woman, Isabel's uh, favourite song ever. <laughs> We're joined now by artist Meng Yu Yan, who just opened their first, well, not their first, but their first solo, first solo, first solo yeah. exhibition at uh, Dominique Mersch Gallery last night. Thanks for joining us, Meng. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so the show is Ocula. Um, where did the name come from? Also, what does the name mean? Uh, well, it's basically a Latin word and basically I was googling occult stuff and it came up with the origins of the word occult which is ocular meaning to hide or to conceal and when I saw this word ocular I thought it would relate to the word ocular in English which means vision and it mean it's related to the eye and to seeing so I thought it was an interesting contrast, this word ocular in Latin and the word ocular in English, um, playing between concealment and vision, um, seeing and also seeing things that are invisible. So that's basically what the show is trying to talk about. <laughs> is that a theme that comes out in a lot of your photographs? Yeah, so I guess with photography, I'm preoccupied with vision and with seeing and with looking. And that has led me to research the history of photography. And when I was looking at the history of photography, I came across spirit photography, which was basically photographing spirits, photographing seances, ectoplasms and things like that. And it was about capturing uh, ghosts and things like that that wouldn't normally be able to be seen with the naked eye. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought this was quite an interesting thing to look at. <laughs> yeah, I've never thought of invisibility in terms of um, photography. Like, obviously, like, mirroring has a lot to do with photography. But, yeah, can you talk a little bit about invisibility? Yeah, well, my girlfriend recently, when we were looking up things for the show or just, like, material to write the essay, she borrowed a book by Claudia Rankine called Citizen. and So good. Yeah, she flipped to a random page, which was her poem in line to the drugstore. And the poem basically talks about her. She's like a black American female poet. She's waiting at the drugstore. And this guy, obviously, probably cis, hetero, white guy, just steps in front of her and goes up to the counter. And the guy at the counter goes sorry but this person was before you and he turns to her and he goes oh I'm so sorry I didn't see you and she's like oh no, no that's okay like you're probably busy or something and he's like no I didn't see you and so I thought it was interesting this idea of being invisible being in reality but having people not be able to see you um and it's funny when you think about vision and you think about seeing, it's not always about what's in front of your eyes. It's how we're conditioned to see, um, how we're programmed to see, what we're programmed to see and to not see, basically. Meng, you've chosen a few songs for us today. Um, the first one by Tropic of Cancer called Beneath the Light. Can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about why you chose it? I guess I was thinking about the vibe of the exhibition and... Tropic of Cancer has a very ethereal, ghostly vibe to it. And so I was thinking if I were to play a song that could go with some of the works in the show, that's what I'd pick. So. <laughs> Definitely right. not out of Kanye's think tank. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Stick around because we'll be talking to Meng Yuyan 
a little bit more after this track called Beneath the Light. Tropic of Cancer there with Beneath the Light. Here on Agenda on FBI Radio, and we're talking to Meng Yuan about their exhibition happening at Dominic Mersch Gallery at the moment. I'm just looking through the catalogue um, right now. A lot of the images are kind of warped, warped and you use water to kind of ascent, distort. They're, a lot of the images are of you, but they're quite yeah. distorted by yeah. the water. They're all self-portraits, um, but I've used a lot of self-portraiture throughout the history of creating my work but they've become more and more distorted more and more abstract um, and layered they've got a very I guess filmic analog quality to them that I've been trying to you know emulate that spirit photography Victorian style Um, but yeah I did layer a lot of photos of myself onto water rippling um, the ocean and yeah I, I like that relationship between self and water, um, gender, fluidity, self as a kind of fluid concept or idea and 
Um, I really like the kind of Taoist ideas around water, water being a very soft element but powerful at the same time. Um, for example, the waves being able to corrode very large mountains and cliffs into jagged edges. There's a, I guess people are afraid of being soft and being, you know, feminine or something like that. Um, but it's got a very strong power behind it. Is that putting yourself in your images? Is that something that you have always done, or is that like a new exploration? Is that a difficult process to go through in terms of like looking at your own identity and at water and what that kind of means for you as an artist? Yeah, I guess I I used to photograph other people when I was in high school, and I feel like I'm allowed to use myself and perhaps I'm not really allowed to use other people as much you know mm. maybe in the future they may not like their image being associated with the work so I feel like I you know my own body my own face is a material that is something I can use and have permission to use so that's why I photograph myself and you know you don't really see as many uh, works by perhaps queer or Chinese artists out there. So I feel like hopefully I'm contributing to that. That's quite a beautiful way of looking at it as it's like you have the permission to use your own image and you're the person that will be responsible for that if you look back and think, you know, I wish I hadn't been in that image. You know, like it's your, not that you would do that, but it's yeah. your <laughs> kind of agency over your own yeah, exactly. your own image is quite a beautiful thing. It does seem like there's a lot of power in that. We're looking, we're getting kind of headshots for our um, MCA panel happening next month, and it's like everyone's sending the most amazing selfies, and it just seems like a kind of important the, political act yeah. like, that they hadn't yeah. really thought of before. This is a little bit of a change of pace, but we have always been asking our um, artists about their self care, and I know that you have a kind of bachelor night. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Is your is that your well, yeah. self care? I always come into work at White Rabbit and I work with Izzy at White Rabbit um, after my bachelor nights on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights. It's a lot of bachelor nights. <laughs> uh, where basically my girlfriend works late till 9.30, 10.30 and so I kind of have to find food for myself. <laughs> um, so I go out and basically eat takeout or whatever. Um, but it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, there's a lot of taboo tied around women being alone or women eating alone, um, you know, it's tied to being a spinster or something like that, it's got a very negative connotation, whereas perhaps being a bachelor, you look at TV shows like The Bachelor and it's so glamorised, mm. um, but when I went out last week for my bachelor night, I was tossing up between ramen and sushi and this guy comes up to me who was, you know, kind of old white guy and he's like, oh, what should I get? What do you recommend? And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, it's a cold night. Maybe you want to have ramen. Um, so there was a bit of like bachelor bonding. There. <laughs> <laughs> Bachelor's definitely like seen and even like thinking about talking about your house as a bachelor pad or, you know, like yeah, that yeah, kind of totally. language is so idolized I guess in terms of yeah totally um, pop culture uh Mang thank you so much for coming in to chat to us today we'll pop some links up on our agenda show page as to where people can where and when people can see your exhibition and your work but we're going to leave with this track by Hate Rock called The Body You Deserve do you want to intro it really quickly before we go um yeah so this track is from the 
album Psychic 9 to 5 Club and it's basically about the kind of psychic there but not there space you are at when you're at work. Cool. (laughs) Thanks. This is Hate Rock. You've been on Agenda. Thank you.